Well, we've got a good crowd tonight. We appreciate so very much each of you being here. And it's been a good week for me. I don't know about you guys, but I've enjoyed very much being with you this week. And it's been very uplifting to me and encouraging to me. You have been so hospitable and so kind and so encouraging. And I appreciate that so very, very much. Enjoyed being with uh, Greg Mesa. Is that close enough? Massa? Massa. Massa. My bad. And family tonight. And uh, they were very hospitable to me. Appreciate that. And just enjoyed getting to know many of you uh, much better. And appreciate the opportunity to be able to study God's Word together, to worship God together. Indeed, indeed it's been a, uh, a joy for me to be here. Notice there's been a lot of folks from East Albuquerque has been almost every night and appreciate them. Visitors from other places, glad to have you with us as well and certainly the members that are here. What we've been talking about all this week about the importance of discipleship and to make up our minds to not disappoint God but to Please God. And we've talked about a number of aspects of how we accomplish that. Well, tonight, I really want to kind of take what we've talked about all week and try to put it together. And I hope will be encouraging to each of you um, to help motivate us to do more, to do better, to do our best. And I hope and pray that we all will. We're going to talk about the beauty of the church. And my thought process was, we started off talking about us as individuals and how we as individual disciples must learn to love as Jesus loved, must be able to forgive as Jesus forgave, and how that we are a part of each other. It is so significant that we have this relationship as a family. As the body of Christ. So now we've graduated to Friday night and talking about the collective. And that is when you take the individual Christian and you join them where there are multi-disciples to make up the church. If we are all what we ought to be, it's a beautiful thing. We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 5. And this passage I think most of us are well familiar with. And the text says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Now again, I think most all of us are familiar with this great text. The first thing I want to talk about is just introduce the idea of what is the church. 
We use that term a lot. We hear that term a lot. Do we know what we're talking about? Well, I think most of us do. But sometimes I think even us as Christians have a bit of a misunderstanding of that idea. And some kind of get the idea, well, it's just someplace you go. Sometimes it's just something you do. Where you go when you need something. And some even think that it's the idea of, well, it's where you go for entertainment. Well, when we stop to consider what is the church, what we learn from this Ephesians 5 passage is that the church is the bride of Christ. Now this terminology, the bride of Christ, you'll notice there in that great text that it describes in beauty the aspect of the church. Did you notice that she has been sanctified, cleansed by the washing of water with the word? Verse 27, and she would be presented to him in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So when you describe the idea of the beauty of a bride, I've had the pleasure of being able to uh, perform a number of wedding ceremonies through the years. And I really enjoy the position where I'm at right up front there where you can see everything that's going on. And most usually, the groom. He's nervous. Um, he's anticipating his bride coming, making herself visible. And I always try to position myself where I can see him and her. Get that, get that right angle. And when he first sees her, and she first sees him, and they make that eye contact, that's a beautiful thing in and of itself. Now, kind of a bummer, in my opinion, is that so many times now, the bride and the groom, they see each other, they get there early, and they take the pictures, and they, they do all that. So it's, I'm not saying it's a letdown, but I'm just going to use my word, it's a bummer, that you don't have that same light moment when she comes in. But when he hasn't seen her in her dreams, and she comes in, and when she comes in, everyone stands. I've seen a number of guys that were just, you know, uh, really macho guys just lose it. They see her, and he's just, he's just really overtaken by her. And then she walks down the aisle in all of her beauty. You know, how does it take for a bride to get ready? Oh, maybe what? Ten minutes? And 
I, I, don't, I have never calculated, never known, even my own daughter, my, my own wife. But I know it was like 40 days and 40 nights of getting ready and doing all that they do. And it's worth it. Because when they come in, absolutely gorgeous. Beauty of a bride. Well, when we think about from the New Testament perspective, the church is the bride of Christ, and I want to suggest to us that this is not a new concept. If you recall, in the Old Testament, a number of times, the children of Israel are referred to as the wife or the bride of God. In the book of Hosea, that whole basic book is about the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer and their relationship. And all the while, it was a living figure representing God and his relationship with Israel. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, we find also another idea of the bride. And in the book of Revelation, I want you to notice here in a couple of verses, you'll notice in verse 7 of chapter 19 of Revelation, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now we just read the Ephesians 5 passage and how she has been cleansed by the washing of water with the Word. I think a clear indication of being baptized into Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and that purity in regards to her actions and her life that is the church. Well, notice in verse 8 of Revelation 19. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now, I've yet to see a bride come up the aisle and she had mud on her dress. It, it, it wasn't. It, it wasn't uh, uh, ironed. It was. Uh, it was just crinkled and just a mess. <coughs> you have to see. Because if, if, if there's ever a time to cross all the T's and dot all the I's and look your best, it's a bride coming up the aisle. Now, if you get all of that. As the, as the church, as the bride of Christ, it is our actions that speak to our righteousness and our cleanliness to be presented to Jesus Christ. And it is the responsibility of each and every member of that collective group 
to live their lives in such a way so as to be blameless, holy, cleansed. I've taken quite a bit of time to, to illustrate something that I think you're very familiar with. But this is important to understand when we're talking about the beauty of the church. So let's say it real simple. If you folks ain't living right and you're doing wrong, this church is ugly. If you as an individual are living right, doing right, obeying Christ, there's a great beauty here. So what is the church? What well, is the saved of God? Acts 2 and verse 47. The, the idea that uh, in the book of Acts there, it gives us lots of great information right at the get-go. Uh, the beginning of the church, the day of Pentecost, the gospel is first proclaimed. And you'll notice in verse 47, and it was praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers. Some, uh, the King James Version says, and the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. So on that day, about 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel. So the Lord was adding to a group that is the saved. They, they were His people because of their obedient faith. So the church is the saved of God. The, the, the church is united believers. In Acts 2 and verse 44, you notice here in the text that it says, And all those who had believed were together. And had all things in common. That, that's, a, that's a powerful statement about the church. The fact that you're united in belief and you're all together in that. You're striving together. You're working together. Chapter 4 and verse 32. Uh, one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. And the congregation of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. That's a beautiful statement about the people of God. So if, if, I, if I might, what is the bride of Christ? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of people that are the saved of God, and they're united together, and they're of the same heart and soul. Well, what is the church? The church is a changed people. They're changed. You remember in Acts 2 and verse 22, you remember that the apostles, Peter specifically, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. The apostles did not mince words. They specifically identified who the guilty were. You. You killed the Son of God. Now, they heard this message. In verse 37... When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? That passage indicates conviction. 
they understood that they had messed up big time. They had sinned against God by killing the Messiah. And they wanted to know how they correct that. It is Peter who responds to them in verse 38 and says, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What sins had they committed? They'd killed the Son of God. They wanted to know how they could correct that. He says you need to repent. You need to be baptized. And you need to wash away your sins. You notice then in verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. How long do you think that took? When you read Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, how long did that, that deal take place? Five minutes? Ten minutes? Thirty? Two hours? All day long? I don't know. It didn't take very long to read through it. But you will notice there in this sermon, and with many other words, many other words, it was testified to save yourself from this untoward generation. So there's a lot of things evidently said, and a lot of things done, that the Holy Spirit didn't record. So they may have taken all that. Nonetheless, Think about this. The gospel of Jesus Christ was powerful enough that people could hear it, if you will, in one setting or one standing. Five minutes, 12 hours, whatever. They hear it, they believe it, and they obey it right then. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls every man unto salvation. The gospel demands a response. So what is the church? It's a group of people that heard the gospel in the way. They didn't fool around. They didn't mess around. They didn't blame somebody else for their sins. They didn't deny their sins. They admitted they were wrong. You know what? What is the church? It's a changed people. How quickly does it take to change? Now I've studied the gospel with a number of people through the years, and it seemed like you've got to study with them forever to get just the slightest movement. And yet I've studied with people sometimes, and it's just a matter of a few moments. Went over to one fellow's house one time and He'd been coming with his wife to church for years and years and years. And he was an older fellow. And I knew he knew the gospel. And I didn't know exactly what I was going to say to him. He's a nice fellow. So I just said to him, uh, when I was getting ready to start to talk to him, his wife quickly exited. She knew what I was there for. So I just asked him, I said, you know, um, <clears throat> You're not getting any younger. 
And you know, you're of age that, you know, you could just kill over any day. You know what? I'm sure that your wife's going to ask me to do your funeral. I'm just wondering. You're a fellow that's been to church probably more than I've ever been to church. And you've never obeyed the gospel. So when I do your funeral, what, do you, what would you like me to say? About why you didn't become a Christian. That man jumped up out of that seat like he had been bit. He stood up. I thought, well, here we go. We're going to have a little round and round right here in the living room. And I thought, well, he's old enough. Maybe I can take him. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. He said, let's go. Well, I wasn't for sure what that meant either. <laughs> I said, what do you want to do? He said, let's go get back time. Now I've had that happen a few times with this little conversation as that. Now, did just that little conversation convert him? No. How many sermons did he have? Bunches. Now think about on the day of Pentecost. There were a lot of religious folks there that day. That wasn't the first time they ever heard about God. They were just a little bit confused. And they had been deceived into who Jesus of Nazareth was. And the preaching that day convinced them, thus, the power of God to say is not the man, it's the Word. And the Word touched their hearts and they believed. You know what? What a beautiful person. A person that can admit even a short period of time that they're wrong and they want to do what's right and they want to be forgiven. That is beautiful. What is the church which is given people? These people in Acts 2, verse 44 and 45, it says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them and all, as anyone might have need. These people had been given salvation by the grace of God. Now what kind of mood are they in? To share with others, to give to others, to help others. You see how beautiful the church is? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We talked about this one evening just briefly. About some brethren in Macedonia. And this is beauty. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 begins in verse 1. Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches of Macedonia. You remember what churches those are? Philippi. Thessalonica, Berea, those brethren. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. What was he saying? They were poor as a church mouse. But what kind of feeling, what kind of, what kind of hearts did they have? Verse 3, 
For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That is beautiful. You don't have to beg somebody to give. They're begging to give. And you kind of get the idea that maybe Paul's even responding and saying, look guys, you're good, you're good. You know, I, I know you can't afford this. I know you can't spare it. They beg. The fact that they beg would suggest that someone was saying no. But they beg. And they gave. You can't keep someone converted to Christ from doing what a disciple does. You can't keep them from doing it. And that's the beauty of it. They don't have to be begged. They don't have to be prodded. They don't have to be shamed. They do it. Why? Because they first give themselves to the Lord. Those kind of people beautiful. What is the church? It's a body of people. In Acts 2 and verse 47, we just talked about that idea. And the Lord added to the church or to their number daily those that were being saved. So you have this collection, this, this group of people, the, the saved of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, we again, uh, earlier in the week we had discussed and talked about Paul's, um, his commentary on the church and the uniqueness of this body. He says in verse 27, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. What a beautiful figure of the church. That it's the body. It's all of these different members. The hands, the ears, the nose, etc. And how they're all working together and connected and, and care for each other. We talked about that. But you know, many people view the church like being a member of Sam's Club. Sam's Club. Somebody needs to answer the phone. Hello. It's a Jordan Park. People were just getting phones. It was Christmas time. One of our deacon's wives was sitting almost up on the front row. Her phone went off playing jingle bells. <laughs> It took her 10 minutes to find her phone and to turn it off. She was embarrassed. But it was kind of fun. Did you know many people view the church like being a member of Sam's Club? You know, you're a member of Sam's Club. Why? So you can go down to Sam's Club and get what you want. You get what you need, right? But if you remember Sam's Club, you don't identify yourself as Sam's Club. Right? You're a member of Sam's Club. But you don't identify yourself as being Sam's Club. Brenda? My hand. Sometimes it just happens. <laughs> You're okay. It's all right. 
I can't get mine to turn off sometimes either. I don't know what the deal is. And if you're just, never mind, we're just going. Okay, I've got a hand here. Let me ask you a question. Is this hand a part of my body? Yes or no? Go this way. Yes. This hand is a part of my body, right? All right. Now, if I was to say, you know what? This hand does not identify itself with this body. If this sounds any remotely familiar from my deal. Is this hand a part of this body? Did you know there are people that claim to be a member of the church that just don't identify themselves as being a part of the church? It's the craziest, goofiest conversation you'd ever have with a person. The reality of it is, when you are a member of the body of Jesus Christ, you're like a hand, you're like a foot, you're like an ear. You identify with the body because you is the body. You're a part of that body. And when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, and you're in the body of Christ, just as an individual member, you must identify as a part of the body, not just somewhere where you go to church. Not just going there when you need something. Does that make sense? Romans 12 verses 4 and 5 has the same verbiage. And Paul preached this evidently a number of times to a number of churches. And he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So what does that mean? We work together just like this body works together. Did you know I can walk, lay my hands, I can even rub my stomach and pat my head. You know how that kind of works together? body of Christ must be able to do that and should be able to do that. And if you're a member of the body of Jesus Christ, you're beautiful. And the working of that body is beautiful. Don't look at it like being a member of Sam's Club. Just showing up when there's a sale and getting a couple things you need and then gone. No more thought of sounds good. You know, church-like people change. Change can be good or bad. There are churches that I preached for many decades ago that are not even around anymore. There are churches that I preached for decades ago that now are then were just small, now huge. There are churches that I've preached for that once were faithful. Now they're not. Did, did you know churches change? They do change. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. You remember the church at Ephesus changed. But that was bad. When we read in the book of Revelation chapter 2, the Ephesus church had left her first love. Jesus admonished the brethren to get back to what they once had. In order to be beautiful, a church 
must be what God wants her to be. But we can't change. And when we find out we've changed, we need to correct And be what we ought to be. May I suggest to us that Satan has been having his way with churches. Especially during COVID. I'm not here to talk about COVID and what we should and should not have done. All I'm saying is this. It was an opportunity that Satan, he won a lot of precious souls during that two-year period. They'd rather just quit. They'd rather nowhere to be found. Why? People change. I believe there was a military leader that said something about the tough, strong, and so forth. Did you really find out who the strong, mighty, weak, and the cowards are when it gets tough. When it gets tough. Satan hates the church, you know. He hates the church. And Satan promotes sin, he, he promotes apathy, he promotes false teaching, and he promotes division. And we must understand that. Sometimes I think we as Christians, we feel like that there's really not a war. That there's really not a problem. There's really not an issue. We don't have to be aware. We don't have to be awake. We don't have to be sober-minded. And that is deception in and of itself. We have to guard ourselves all the time. Because Satan He's here. Well, that's kind of odd to say, isn't it? When God's people meet together, what do we claim? What do we know? When God's saints meet together, Christ is with us. Did you know who else is here? Oh, yeah. He's here too. And He's doing all He can to distract, to disturb, to convince, to convert. To cause to deny, to cause a ruckus, to get mad, to get upset. He's probably sitting right by you. He stands right next to me all the time. And he's whispering in my ear. Now don't preach that because that might not be well received. If you preach that, people won't get mad. He, he talks to my ear all the time. He's here. Acts 20, verses 28-32, the Apostle Paul, he visited with the elders of Ephesus and Miletus, and he encouraged them greatly to watch out for the flock. The church is such a beautiful thing. It means so much to God. He gave His Son for all of these believers, and we must be very careful to protect the church. Because churches and people change, we must test ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, test yourselves. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. 
You know, sometimes Christians get offended because somebody asks them a question. You shouldn't be ashamed to ask the question. You shouldn't get mad because somebody asks you a question. You shouldn't be defensive because somebody asks you a question. But you should be willing to give an answer. To every man, ask reason, the hope that is within well, as God's people, we should test ourselves, examine ourselves. There is absolutely nothing wrong with someone coming up to me as a preacher and saying, Now, Brother Slate, you preached so and so, and you said so and so. Um, could you tell me where in the Bible it teaches that? Do you know who you're talking to? I am the Lowell Slate, the only one in the United States, Lowell Slate. You got the gall to ask me that? And that's why some brother not. But if I recall correctly, I've made a mistake in my life. Well, it was that time I thought I did, I did. But anyway, you know, we make mistakes. We can be wrong. But when you care about the beauty of the church, when you care about the body of Christ, you will examine yourself. Some changes are good when there's repentance. People that repent. Acts 2 and 38. Those people were beautiful. They repented. Churches too. Remember 1 Corinthians 5? If you didn't know anything about 2 Corinthians, reading 1 Corinthians would be... You'd read that and you'd go, Whoa. <laughs> How would I have reacted if I had been a member of the Corinthian church and I heard that letter read to me? 1 Corinthians 5 is about as skim a sermon as you've ever heard in your life. And asking Christians today about that concept, People today respond, well, I tell you what, if you preach like that today, people will just flatten leave. And if you mark someone or withdraw from someone the way Paul said do that, well, they will never come back. Did you know that that church repented of having not withdrawn from that man and they withdrew from him and that man who had not repented, he repented and made corrections. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul commends the church and commends the brother and then says to the church, make sure you comfort this guy that he's not overcome with excessive sorrow. Did you know that the plan of God works for His people? And when you follow the plan, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. God doesn't think like we think. And we certainly do not have even a thought like God has. Church growth is good. Spiritually, Galatians 5, adding the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. When you see that kind of growth in individuals in the church, it's a beautiful thing. When you see numerical growth, that's a beautiful thing. 
Acts 5 verse 14 and also Acts 11 and verse 24, you find that the preaching of the gospel was just, they, they kept on preaching, they kept on teaching regardless of uh, the difficulties or the persecution and the church just kept on growing. And one of the things that I know that you've heard before, it is ironic that in the first century, going through the most difficult of times, the church grew fast. He grew exponentially. There were more and more and more people obeying the gospel when the times were tough. Times are pretty good here. I know gas is hot, but you still got it good. How many people are obeying the gospel? Is there correlation? Growth prevents Satan from taking over. I would explain it this way. When you personally are growing spiritually, you're adding the fruit of the Spirit. You're growing and maturing, reading and studying your Bible and your spirituality, your maturity, you're becoming a man in Christ. The stature of Christ. That keeps the devil out. When the local church is growing spiritually, it keeps the devil out. When you're not growing, when you're not growing, you're backing up. We must, brethren, be in a constant state of growth. You personally control. You don't have to answer out loud. No raising hands. Do you read your Bible every day? What's the correct answer? I read my Bible every day. Yes or no? I study my Bible every day. Yes or no? I memorize passages on a regular basis. Yes or no? The Word of God, I let it dwell in my heart so that I may not sin against thee. I believe that. Therefore, I'm constantly putting in God's Word. Gallon bucket. Gallon bucket. The bucket is empty. What's in the bucket? A gallon bucket. The bucket is empty. What is in the bucket? Air. Right? How do you displace the air? Pour water in it. Displaces the air. What's in your heart? Junk. What displaces the junk? Good. You must put in good. And it displaces the bad. How often in a day's time do you have bad put into your mind and in your heart constantly. So you read the Bible once every blue moon and every day the devil is shoveling in all kinds of bad stuff. Who's winning the battle? We don't have time not to read our Bibles. We don't have time not to study. We do not have time not to mature and grow in Christ because the devil never quits. 
He will eventually get you if you stop growing. So, the church and the disciple must learn to deal with changes. James 1 verse 2, James says, You need to consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So the essence of what James is saying is the very thing that the devil does to discourage us and try to get us to quit is the very thing God will use to make you stronger. The devil will persecute you. The devil will make sure that uh, you have difficulties in your life. But then God says, I'll take that, and if my disciple has faith and trusts me, he can take persecutions, and he can take difficulties, and he can become stronger. But the only way you can make that happen, you've got to have a heart like Christ. And the only way to get a heart like Christ his word. Brethren, God is with us. Do you believe that? Is He with us? Then who can be against us? God will help us in time of need. Our sweet lady back here, our sister, couldn't keep her phone going. You know, sometimes life is just that way. You just can't sing to help people. Just got free left feet. Sometimes days are just bad. God is with us. He helps us. Doesn't allow us to be tempted. Above and beyond what we're able to bear. But will the temptation provide a way of escape also? You must trust them. Always remember that a bad day can get worse. Make sure you're ready to make a better day. And most always, the difference maker is what's between your ears. First thing you're going to do, you're going to get on Twitter, Facebook, and said, Lee, he's done gone loco. He says, you know, stop going to church. Y'all read that, don't you? See, that's what it says up there, right? you got to include the word just in there. That's important word. When you stop thinking about church as someplace you go, and church is who you are. I understand the principle that one person is not the church, but my point is this. Stop worrying about going to church and stop worrying about being the church. You start being the church, you are absolutely gorgeous. 
Do I have to go to church Sunday night? I'm getting old enough and cranky enough, I'm just about ready to punch somebody in the nose. Do I have to go to church on Sunday night? Good. What are you asking? It'd be like me saying to my wife, do I have to kiss you? I know it's Valentine, but give me a break. I kissed you last year. And he'd say, something messed up there. We are the bride of Christ. Let's be beautiful to Christ and beautiful to the world. The world needs us so desperately. The world needs us to be beautiful. They need to see Christ living in us. Well, we're two minutes over. I didn't mean to do that. But y'all listen so well. Made me talk extra. But I appreciate you listening tonight. And if you do have any questions, anything at all, concerns about anything we've talked about the whole week, I'm happy to talk to you about those things. If what we've talked about is the truth, then we all have the responsibility to answer the call of the gospel, to lead what God wants us to do. And we need each other. We must help each other. We must encourage each other. And it all begins by being born again. You cannot be born again until you make up your mind. Are you going to disappoint God? Or are you going to please God? You'll make that choice. Do not. As together we stand and say.